Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Uh, you can join me in opening your Bibles to Psalm 62. And if you're a guest with us, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And we'll be walking through Psalm 62 together. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under a seat nearby. Uh, Psalm 62, I believe, is on page 479. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that one with you. We'd love for you to have that as a, as a gift. And so the book of Psalms, as we've been seeing over these past weeks, and as perhaps you've been reading for uh, a number of years, um, is not a stuffy and archaic book, is it? It's a collection of poems, prayers, and songs that relate to all of life. They express real faith in our real God in the midst of the real messes of real life. And so they're here to help us find hope in God in the everyday stuff of life. So I've come to the point where I don't want to live the rest of my life, life without the Psalms present as a daily companion. Uh, so I read at least one most days. I encourage you to consider doing the same. And Psalm 62 is here to help us in our harder times. So this psalm speaks to us in our anxiety. And it shows us that a deep soul-level rest, even in the midst of trials, is possible. Studies are showing that anxiety levels are rising drastically. And so many of us have so many reasons to be anxious, don't we? Our circumstances can be hard. Uh, perhaps a diagnosis that you've received this past year weighs on you. Maybe your finances and your financial situation and outlook keep you up in the middle of the night at times. Maybe your children, you wonder, will they be okay in the future? What kind of friends will they make? Is something wrong? Um, will the Lord give the new heart so that they would trust Jesus and follow him? Uh, maybe you have health concerns for your children or your parents. Maybe there's a personal issue. Someone seems set against you, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. Maybe it's our culture and its future. Concerns about government and social unrest and complex social issues. Maybe you're concerned about our ongoing situation with COVID-19. Any combination of these things can lead to us feeling anxious. And you know what else can lead to anxiety? Even just being anxious about these things, right? Sometimes I'm stressed about my stress. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why am I so worked up about that or this? Psalm 62 is here to help us. King David wrote this psalm in the midst of some serious troubles, and he gives us a model for finding deep soul-level rest in the midst of them. So the key phrase in this psalm, you can see it as the opening line here. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. That silence probably doesn't have to do with a verbal silence. Later in the psalm, he talks about pouring our heart out to God. So this has to do with a quietness of soul, a deep place of trust, giving our anxieties to God. So this psalm is here to help us to have a calm heart in the midst of troubling times. So let's read it together, ask the Lord's help, and then consider it more closely. Psalm 62. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. 
From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse 3, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour your heart out before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They're together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we are coming to you dependent on you to open our minds and hearts to your word here. So we pray that you would do whatever rearranging of our thoughts, outlook on life, hearts, affections, desires, whatever you need to do, we pray that your spirit would work powerfully in every heart here. We pray that we would find great trust and hope in you through Jesus. Amen. Well, this psalm has several movements to it as we've read through it. So after introducing the overall message of the psalm in the first couple verses of finding this soul rest in God, David turns to address several different people, several different audiences. So first he speaks to his problem in verses 3 to 4. Then he speaks to his own soul in verses 5 to 7. Third, he speaks to everyone else in 8 to 10. And then finally, he speaks directly to God in verses 11 to 12. So he moves from his problem to himself, to others, to the Lord God. And that's a helpful model for us in anxiety. Not a rigid pattern we need to follow, but it is somewhat of a model here because uh, we can tend to just sit with our problems, head spinning in anxiousness, swirling and just give ourselves to wherever our mind takes us in our anxiousness. And we feel like we're a mess. We don't know what to do. Our mind dwells on our problems without hope. Or we may tend to focus on only one of these areas that David refers to here. We address our problem that's bothering us. We think about it or we address our own heart or we turn to talk to others or we turn to God in prayer. But all of these do have an important place in getting a, to a place of calm in our troubles. So let's just walk through each of these. We'll use David here as a pattern for ourselves. So here's what we'll see. He speaks to the problem. He speaks to his soul. He speaks to others. And he speaks to the Lord. So first, he speaks to his problems. He identifies what is troubling him. Now we can tell from the first two verses that David's faith here is hard won. 
He says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And listen to the language he's using here. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation or my deliverance, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. So David is in need of some kind of deliverance, and he trusts in the Lord for it. He's waiting for God. So what's going on? Well, verse 3, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? So David is being attacked here. There's some kind of power play going on. Probably people trying to overthrow him from being king. Look at verse 4. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. And then he says, they take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly, inwardly they curse. This happened to David a lot. On one occasion, his own son Absalom attempted a coup. They ran David out of town to take his throne from him. Another time he talks about betrayal of a close friend. He said, you know, speaking words that seemed to be blessing, but there was war in his heart. And so David pauses and clearly identifies his trouble. And he actually addresses his attackers here. Now, I don't think he intends for them to actually read this, um, but this seems to be helpful for him to do, to identify and then to poetically speak to those who are troubling him. So he names his problem. He identifies those who are troubling him. So what are your trials right now? Identify them. What makes you anxious? What keeps you up at night? What comes into your mind at random and unwelcome times and starts to increase your heart rate? Rather than just sinking into worry and letting your head spin, the first step here can be to clarify what's causing you trouble. What is it about this situation that is leading you to respond with anxiety? Is it a health concern? Is it a person or people? Is it a job? Is it a parent or sibling or child? Is it fears about our culture? I mean, maybe even right now, just write it down. So David speaks to his troubles. Now, second, he speaks to himself. Verse 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Do you ever talk to yourself? You're supposed to. Um, may sound strange, but it's actually very helpful because when we're anxious, our mind is spinning with thoughts, and we can actually say, hold on, Drew. Just think about what's going on for a moment. Let's, let's think about the situation and put our hope in God. In other words, you can change the subject in your mind. And you can stop your thoughts from going in one direction, take hold, and speak to yourself. So what do we say to ourself? Well, we call ourselves, in this case, to trust God. Notice David says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. In other words, all this trouble of heart, he speaks into it. He says, wait for the Lord in silence. And do you notice the progression from verse 1 to verse 5? They seem almost identical but they're not. Look back at verse 1. He says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. So he has a restful soul. He does trust God. He's waiting for God. He is a believer who's hoping in God as his truest help. But then in verse 5, he doesn't say again, for God alone my soul waits in silence. No, instead he says, for God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. 
So he does trust God, but now he's calling himself to trust God. Do you see that? He trusts, but he knows he needs to trust. He needs to continue to trust. He needs to trust more, more deeply. This shows us something profound about the nature of faith in everyday life. Faith isn't just something you have or you don't, though that's true. It's also something you have in degrees. Faith is dynamic. It can grow. It can ebb and flow. It can be strong. It can be weak. It fluctuates. You can trust God sometimes and not others. You can trust God in some situations and not in others. You can trust God a lot in some situations and a little in other situations. So this is like the man who called out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Or Jesus, when he talked to his disciples and he said, oh, you of little faith. They have faith, but it's little, which is causing them to be anxious and not trust or to be fearful. So here's the point. Faith is dynamic. We have it in degrees. You don't grow as a Christian in the midst of troubled times by saying, I, I mean, I believe I'm a Christian, but now I've got to just get to work. No, you think I believe and I want to believe more deeply. I want to trust God in every area of my life. I want to grow in my understanding of who God is and my heartfelt delight in him and dependence upon him. I want to trust him more deeply. So following Jesus is a lifetime of renewed and refreshed and growing trust in Jesus. As new trials come, as new situations confront us, trusting him, believing in his truth and his goodness and his love. But this isn't just a cold command to trust God. The point isn't to rebuke yourself for not trusting when you're anxious, though there can be a place for that. The point here is to encourage your soul to see all the reasons to trust God and to hope in God. I mean, here's something I've been learning the past couple of years. Anxiety is an opportunity to deepen your relationship with God, to see more reasons to trust in Him. Anxiety alerts you to a faith issue in your heart. Again, it can be complex. I'm not reducing it to this, but this is often a core part of it. It, it often alerts you to something off, and it's an opportunity then to rely on the Lord. It's a doorway into dependence on God. It's an opportunity. So David turns his own soul toward God here. And notice all the ways he refers to God. He's taking this opportunity to deepen his dependence on God. So look at verses 5 and 6. For God alone, my soul, wait in silence. Why? For my hope is in him. He only is my rock, not something else. He is my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. So anxiety is a doorway to deeper dependence on God. In our anxiety, we turn to God as our rock, as our fortress, as our refuge, as our deliverance. We rest, he says, our salvation and glory on God, which for David here would have meant his deliverance and his honor. 
He was being threatened and he was being dishonored. They were trying to cast him down from his high and honored position. And he says, I'm resting my salvation and my honor, my glory on God. It's in his hands. I trust him. So this is a key step to take when you're anxious or you're worried. As your head starts spinning, pause. Stop and address yourself. Drew, hold on. You trust God, so trust Him. You rely on Him. You, you know He's faithful, so trust Him to be faithful in this situation. You've trusted Him in the past. Trust Him now. You trust Him a certain amount. Trust Him more deeply. Trust Him to work this out for your good. You know He's a refuge in troubled, troubled times, so cling to Him as your refuge. So David speaks to his enemies, he speaks to himself, and third, he speaks to others. So David has a purpose larger than himself here. When we're anxious, have you noticed we can often become very self-focused? I certainly do. But after addressing himself, David turns to others. He has a moment of mentoring other people here about where to put their trust. Look at verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour your heart out before him. God is a refuge for us. So he's applied this message to his own soul, and now he's calling others to do what he's just done. And he's calling them, including us and you who's reading this today, to put our trust in God, to look to God as a refuge. And did you notice that phrase, pour out your heart to God? It's one of my favorite phrases in the book of Psalms. Um, a ministry friend of mine preached a long series through the book of Psalms, and that was the title of his series, Pour Your Heart Out to Him. What a great summary of prayer. And notice that he says to trust God at all times. So we pour out our souls to him at all times. So this is about every moment of life, all of life, all the time. So prayer, pouring our heart out to God, is not just for people when they feel religious, it's not a stoic religious tradition. Prayer is bringing our real selves in the mess of real life to the real God who can give real hope and real help. One of my favorite books is a collection of letters by Jack Miller. I mentioned it before. It's called The Heart of a Servant Leader. Uh, he was a pastor, profession, uh, professor, a missionary, and he used his life well to mentor and encourage other people. And we see that through his letter writing. And so his letters were published um, after his passing. And one of the themes that he comes back to over and over and over in these letters that are really like counseling sessions, he comes to over and over to this theme of helping people trust in Christ in the midst of anxiety. So one thing that he wrote has come to my mind a lot over the years. He said this, watch your emotions in your heart. Give them to Christ and not to problems. In another place, he wrote, the devil's strategy is to get us problem-centered rather than Christ-centered. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we ignore our problems, pretending they're not there. The point is we don't give our heart and our emotions to our problems. We give them to Christ. We praise him. We trust him in the midst of our problems. So that's what this psalm is helping us to do. When we're troubled, let's not give our emotions to our problems. Let's give them to our good God. 
So if you want to know what this looks like, I'd recommend uh, actually a book that one of Jack's sons wrote. His name is Paul Miller, and the title of his book is A Praying Life. I read it over the course of the past few months, and the title gives the point of the book. It's about what prayer looks like in every moment of life. The book title is A Praying Life. Uh, not just a praying moment, not just a prayer to start your day, a praying life. And that's the point. All of life, at all times, bring your real self to God in the midst of your real struggles and joys. So we have a few copies at the resource corner, a praying life. So when we're anxious, we trust God as our refuge. We pour out our soul to Him. And then now, in verses 9 and 10, David continues to encourage and mentor and exhort other people. In temptation in particular, there's a temptation that can come to us when we're anxious. And the temptation is to not just not put our trust in God, but to put our trust in something else. Because the truth is you're going to put your trust somewhere. You're going to rest your heart somewhere. You're going to rely on someone or something for stability in troubled times. So the question is, where will you put your heart? Where will you set your heart? Where, who will you look to? Or what will you look to to be a refuge in troubled times? So David gives a warning about a temptation. We'll trust in something. The question is, is it God or something else? So look at the warning in verse 9. He says to trust God at all times. And now he says, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they both go up, right? They're lighter than a breath. So put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. You see the same language he used to refer to trusting in God, he's now using to refer to trusting in people or wealth. And he's saying, put your trust in God because he's a rock, he's heavy, he's a fortress. Don't put it on people. They're light. They're a breath. Don't put it, don't set your heart on riches if it increases. Set your heart on God, right? You are an eternal soul. Do not bow your eternal soul to paper and coins, right? Bow before the Lord, David is saying. He's calling us to trust in God, pour our heart out to Him. So the temptation to trust in something else will always be there. The temptation to trust in money here is not just an issue for either the poor or the wealthy, but both. Some people are anxious because they don't have money or they don't have enough in their estimation. Other people are anxious because they're wondering if they're secure enough in their wealth, which they have plenty of. So either way, both can put their trust and hope in wealth and be anxious about that because they're placing their heart on riches. And David is saying, paper and coins can't bear the weight of your soul. Don't hitch your deepest emotions to the stock market chart. And therefore, as that rides like a roller coaster, your heart is riding like a roller coaster. So that when that rises and falls, your deepest emotions are rising and falling with it. Uh, the actor Jim Carrey put it this way, somewhat of an uncharacteristic quote if you're used to his movies. He said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. In other words, money and fame can't give you the security that you're hoping for. They can't cure your anxieties. So what is the answer? 
The Apostle Paul said something very similar to David in 1 Timothy 6, verses 70 to 20. We read it earlier. As for the rich in this present age, charge them, and which is more people than we typically think, right? Given history, given the globe, most people in our area here. So charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes. Does that sound like David? Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Riches are not life. God is. So David spoke to his troubles. He spoke to his soul. He had this moment of mentoring others, speaking to them, and now he speaks directly to God. And as he speaks to God, we see why God is worthy of our trust. We see why it is that trusting him in times of trouble isn't just comforting. It's reasonable. It's rational. We're not making this stuff up. Verses 11 to 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. So what does this show us? Well, it shows us that we're not just making this stuff up to feel better. We trust in God because it's reasonable. Why? Well, because he has spoken. David says God has spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us. So he's not the aloof deity of the deists. He's not an impersonal force. He's the creator who made all things, and he made you, and he has spoken to us. He speaks to us in creation, revealing his power. He speaks to us through prophets through the ages and through his word, which we have sitting on our laps open. He's spoken to us in particular through Jesus as he's come as the revelation of the one true God. And he's shown us, therefore, what life is for and where to put our hope. He's revealed his heart to us. He's revealed his plan of salvation to us. And so when we trust God, it's not irrational. We believe that God himself has made us, and he cares for us, and he's spoken to us. And Jesus' resurrection in the middle of history confirms the truthfulness of God's word. And so what do we learn about God that makes him worthy of trust? Well, David summarizes it here. He focuses on three characteristics or attributes of God. First, his power. Power belongs to God, David says. Now, how is that relevant to this psalm? Well, don't you need a God who is able to do something about your problem if you're going to trust him? We need a God that can help. And so this is why we can trust God in times of trouble, because to him belongs power. Second, his love. To you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. The word for steadfast love here is the famous, well-known Hebrew word, hesed. It's a word that brings together both affection and commitment. Loyal love is how some translate it. He's dependable, and he helps us out of a heart of affection. So this means that when we're anxious, we have a creator who is our father through Jesus Christ. And he cares for us as children. He loves us deeply. 
You know, there really are only two ways to live. And Jack Miller, the man I mentioned earlier, talked about this often. There's really two ways to live. You can either live as an orphan or as a child of God. And depending on how you live moment by moment in in one of those two realities, your anxiety will be different, um, the level of it. So you can live as an orphan, and if so, then you'll go through your life feeling most deeply alone, feeling like you have nowhere to turn, no one who is really able to help you. And so you put your trust in people or money like David warned about, anxious. But if you live as a child of a loving father who made you and loves you, then you can have this soul-level rest that David has because you know that you have a father who's overseeing your life. You have a father who doesn't let anything happen to you that he does not allow with a purpose, mysterious though it may be, and for your ultimate good. He loves you. He cares for you. He's carrying you along. You can trust him. And he's shown his love most clearly in Jesus. Jesus shows us that God is committed to us with this kind of hesed, steadfast love. His character wraps together both affection and faithfulness. I mean, as you read the pages of the Gospels, don't you see that? Deep affection, deep faithfulness, and steadfast love. He's proven it. In the greatest storm that we should face, we now have hope. What's the greatest storm that we should face, right? Eternal judgment should cause all sorts of anxiety in our bones. But Jesus came and endured that for us on the cross, bearing the weight of our sins and judgment. And he voluntarily did it. So he wasn't cast down from his high position like David was worried about having happened to him. He voluntarily gave this up for us on the cross. And yet he went to the cross and he poured out his soul to his father in Gethsemane. And we hear and see his heart saying, For God my Father alone, my soul waits in silence. He trusted the fa- his Father to raise him from the dead. And he did it for you and me. So that no matter what storm we face, we can trust him. He died and rose so that if we trust him, we walk every moment, we step out into every day, knowing we're forgiven, we're loved, we're cared for, As he's been faithful in the past, he'll be faithful in the present and future. And so we don't have to live anxiously as a spiritual orphan, but contentedly and calmly, deep in our soul as a child of God. Last attribute is justice. For you will render to a man according to his work. Now, that doesn't mean that David has to earn the deliverance he's hoping for, nor do we. This shows us that God will repay these evil ones for their violence toward David, and it means that God will come through for his people who trust him. He'll act with justice. And so this is why our souls can wait in silence in the midst of trials, because God is there, because he's spoken, because he has power, he has love, and he is just, and he's proven it through Jesus. So let's remember then, in the midst of whatever you're facing, or maybe life is going swimmingly for you now, it won't in the future. So you need to be prepared. So as we go into this next week and into these next years, into the next hour, we can remember that anxiety is a doorway into a deeper relationship with God. It gives us an opportunity to grow in our dependence on Him and see Him come through for us so that we can have a soul that's contented and quiet before Him. For God alone my soul 
waits in silence. So we, the pathway is to identify what's troubling you. Speak to your soul. Wait for the Lord. You trust Him, keep trusting Him. Look for opportunities to mentor others. Don't get so focused on yourself. Share with others what you're learning. Um, as Lori did just earlier today. Do that with one another. And pour your heart out to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you've not been silent and left us in troubling times without a word from you. And thank you that you speak to us hope. Thank you that you are our rock, our refuge, our fortress in a storm with waves crashing around. We thank you that you give us hope and we thank you that uh, your son has gone to the cross and, and risen again for us. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for bearing the greatest storm for us and giving us great hope. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for comforting our hearts with this message. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's stand if you're able and continue that thought as we sing together. Jesus, I my cross have taken all to lead and follow thee destitute, despised, forsaken thou from hence my all shall be perish every fond ambition all I've sought or hoped or Yet how rich is my condition, God and heaven are still my own. Let the world despise and leave me, they have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like men untrue. And while thou shalt smile upon me, God of wisdom, love, and mind, foes may hate and friends may shun me. Show thy face and all. Come disaster, scorn, and pain In thy service pain is pleasure With thy favor loss is gain I have called thee, Abba, Father I have stayed my heart on Storms may howl and clouds may gather, all must work for good to me.
face to glory, armed by faith and winged by prayer, heaven's eternal days before thee, God's own hand shall guide thee there, soon shall close thy earthly mission, swift shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition, faith to sign and prayer to Well, if you have any questions about Psalm 62 or questions about what it means to follow Jesus, I'd love to talk with you. I'll be up front here and welcome a conversation. Also a reminder that we believe that giving in response to all that the Lord has given to us is a central part of worship, um, both together here and in everyday life. So I encourage you to consider giving as an act of worship. You can do that online or in the boxes outside the worship center here. Also, at the end of our service, we love to hang out. So please do linger longer, grab coffee, grab a snack, meet someone new, talk to one another, set up times to get together during the week. And so now we're going to leave with a benediction and a reminder that benedictions are, as some call them, blessings for the road. This is where we look to God in expectancy for him to do what only he can do for us in this coming week because we believe that the grace he's given to us this morning matters, not just for this morning, but for every moment this coming week. So in light of that, here's a benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the near fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with us every moment this week. Go in peace.